If you've ever found injured wildlife or, or even a baby bird by itself or a baby squirrel after a summer storm or I don't know, a, a baby deer tends to be babies, lots and lots of babies, or, or maybe even a sickly raccoon or a bat or who knows, who knows? It could be anything. I mean, those are common things, but I mean, we could even be talking about a bear. But you probably also don't know what I'm talking about quite yet. What I'm talking about is wildlife rehabilitation. If you have ever been some good Samaritan who has uh, pulled over for an injured animal or or made the call to one of these wildlife rehabilitation centers and, uh, you know, you've, you've probably passed on the animal and then have no idea what happened then. What happens next? What is the process like? What is a day in the life of someone who does this kind of work? Or maybe even you've thought about getting into this kind of work yourself. Either way, if you care about wildlife, this episode is for you. Which makes sense because you're listening to the wildlife and uh, that's kind of the clientele. Anyway, this is episode 100. Episode 100 without Ryan Reynolds on as a guest to, uh, to just do the thing that we want to do. Compare and contrast Hugh Jackman's Wolverine with real life mammal wolverines. I mean, Hugh's also a mammal, um, you know, the hair and the mammary glands and, and all that. But, uh, you know, either way, Ryan's not on for this episode. It is episode 100. We're not doing anything super fancy for it. Um, we're just kind of treating it like like any other. And, and this episode is largely conversational. Um, it doesn't have a whole lot of editing, not a whole lot of fluff, just uh, a back and forth between two people. And before I go any further, I just have to say this is kind of obligatory. Like, I have to say, I'm right there with you. I don't like watching videos. And then when I get to the part where they say, click here to subscribe, or hey, by the way, we have a Patreon. Normally, I just kind of click away. Um, but now that I'm kind of on the opposite side of that, I, I kind of feel, I don't know, I feel a kindredness. And so sometimes I don't skip. Anyway, what I'm going to ask is, uh, number one, um, Wherever you are listening, especially on iTunes, because that, that's one of our larger areas and it, it really helps with our listings and visibility, please, 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 please take a moment while you have your phone, scroll down to the bottom, click however many stars you think we deserve, leave us a review, um, some kind of feedback, because we want to get better. We want to know what you think. We want to know what questions you have. And we just kind of want to know who's listening. So um, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to put there. Um, go ahead, drop one, and um, we'll share it on the show. Also, remember, we are a nonprofit organization as well. We do a lot in terms of free educational, educational, <laughs> the irony, educational resources. Uh, we've been putting out a series of electronic children's books, um, have a lot more in the works, but uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash the wildlife. And that's as a monthly member for as little as a dollar a month or about 25 cents an episode. Or you can do a one-time donation at paypal.me slash the wildlife. It's cool. And, and the more people who do that, the more work we can do. I mean, after all, some of the programs that we have planned, but we don't have a whole lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We need more funding um, to be able to really make some change, to really be able to implement these programs like binoculars for young birders or our field trip fund or even our scholarship fund. So if you have anything, 25 cents, a, a nickel, consider sending it our way because 
we want to do good work with it. And we want that money to make a difference. Somewhere around mid-August of 2020, right in the middle of one of those like perfect summer thunderstorms. It, on the radar, it covered almost the entire state. And uh, we, we're in the same state, our, today's guest and I, but a couple hours apart. And um, gosh, I just have to say, right now, when, when like the high outside is looking like negative eight, um, I, <laughs> I, really, I really miss just the sound of thunder. Um, not the short story, but like the actual sound and that, and that smell of the rain and that, oh gosh, it sounds nice. You know what? Um, before I go any further, I just I just feel like I need this, and maybe you do too. So really, really quick, thunderstorm sounds. All right. Anyway, uh, I sat down to chat with Tammy Vogel. She's the communications director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota. We talk about the day-to-day of wildlife rehab, the ins and outs of the center, how to get into wildlife rehab, and what to do when you find injured wildlife. Also babies, animal babies. Like, are they actually alone or are you being watched? (laughs) No, but like really, because... Usually, that's the case. We'll talk about it. You'll see. Um, firstly, we'd love to learn some background information about yourself and uh, how you got involved with the uh, rehab center. <laughs> it's one of those serendipitous things. So yeah. um, I grew up camping and um, being outside. I'm from Chicago, um, mm-hmm. but my mom's family is from northeastern Wisconsin, kind of over by the UP. Um, and I grew up exploring the Northwoods. Um, sure. And I think one of the biggest things that kind of changed direction in my life was a trip to the Boundary Waters, uh, mm. uh, the somewhere between my junior and senior year in high school with my family. Mm. Um, and to this day, when my mother chastises me for disappearing into the, wo- week, uh, into the woods um, for weeks on end, um, I tell her that she is the one who brought this out in me. Um, I do a solo <laughs> camping trip every year, three weeks with my dogs in September mm. and October. Um, and oh, that has to be nice. Oh, that that's that's got to be nice. I haven't been up to the Boundary Waters in a few years now. I got to get back up. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So anyway, place. I uh, grew up with an absolute love of wildlife. I was one of those kids who brought home everything to my mom to make it feel better. And mm-hmm. we had a cemetery behind my garage of animals that didn't make it. Um, and I'm sure parents everywhere are, are understanding how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was growing up, there just wasn't a place to take animals. Um, yeah. um, you know, that was kind of, I was a generation before that happened. Um, and so I decided to dedicate my career to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realized quickly on that I didn't have enough time to work the full-time career and do the amount of volunteer work I wanted to do. Um, and I've always thought nonprofits give so much back to the community. So mm-hmm. early on, I dedicated my life to nonprofits. And then, uh, let's see, I guess it was when I moved to Milwaukee, I started volunteering with wildlife at the Milwaukee um, Wildlife Rehab Center, which is part of the AHS out there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I volunteered there for a few years and then um, transferred up here and started volunteering here. And I had to make a decision in Milwaukee. I worked with raptors and wildlife, but up here, you know, they're separate. So you have yeah. the raptor center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I decided to volunteer at the Wildlife Rehab Center. And then I convinced Phil that he needed a communications director. <laughs> they never had one. Um, and I'm pretty sure he ruse it to this day that he has hired me. Um, <laughs> but it's the perfect blending of my personal passion with my professional passion. And I just love it. So. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's always nice when you find the right fit. It is. Yeah. 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 Especially when it's one that can unite multiple passions. You know, that's, that's the best. So how, how long has the, uh, wildlife rehab center of Minnesota been around? 1979. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've been around a long time. Uh, we started at the university. Um, we were Mm -hmm. actually a student organization at the university kind of spun off from the Raptor center, which started in 77, I believe. Okay. Um, so we kind of spun off from there. I think, um, they started thinking about, well, if we can fix Raptors, what about, um, Corvids, right? That would be the Mm -hmm. next logical step for bigger birds. And then Mm -hmm. kind of, move on from there. So we were under the university's umbrella for quite a while. Um, we split off in the late 1990s and formed our own nonprofit. Uh, we mm-hmm. continued to stay on campus until we built this new facility in Roseville and we moved there in 2002. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, I, I kind of forgot for a moment that they are separate too. Um, mm-hmm. when the, the one in Texas that, that I was at, I mean, it was pretty much anything and everything. And, uh, there's, you know, the expected stuff that you get lots of like squirrels and possums and, uh, you know, squirrels and squirrels and squirrels and squirrels. (laughs) And then, um, (laughs) but we also, we had raptors there and ducks and lots of ducks, lots of ducks and that kind of thing. And pelicans. That was always an interesting one. Do you have the browns down there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And they're, you know, they're not as big as the uh, white pelicans, but they're still, when you're, when you're sitting in a, a little shed area, and you're trying to feed them and you're surrounded by like six pelicans. It's a little intimidating. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so what kind of numbers um, does the center see in terms of, you know, animals that are brought in? Yeah, so we're probably going to easily surpass 15,000 this year, um, wow. which makes us um, by far the busiest independent wildlife center hospital in the nation. Um, most wildlife centers are tied to a university in some capacity or some type of research. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as independents go, we are um, the largest. So yeah, we're going to see 15,000. Um, this was a crazy busy year for us. And yes, it's probably partly due, uh, partly due in part to COVID. Um, you know, more families, more people were home and outside in May than usual. And May is typically our busiest month anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw days of 200 patients this year. So. Wow. Yeah. What, what are some of the most common things? Uh, what you were talking about earlier, squirrels, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, bunnies, rabbits, um, yeah. songbirds. It's basically what people are finding in their yards. Um, but since we do take animals from all throughout the state, um, you know, we do get in bobcats. Um, we see a lot of of the American white pelicans. We see a lot Mm -hmm. of swans. Um, in fact, I think we're probably in the top three centers in the nation for the number of swans that we treat. Um, and our medical director, um, tours the country teaching people about lead toxicity treatment in swans. Interesting. 
Yeah. Are are y'all noticing an uptick during this time of COVID in terms of, you know, animals being brought in just because people are home more, maybe outside more? Is there is there kind of an uptick as compared to usual? Uh, yeah, that's that's why I was kind of attributing our 200 plus days to mm, um, sure. the fact that, you know, there's more people home, there's more people outside and they were, you know, in May, it was still on the early side of the curve. So there were even more people home in May and June are our busiest months. So that just elevated everything. Sure. Sure. I mean, what kind of uh, what kind of work? I mean, I know it's probably immense and varied, but what kind of work do you do primarily? Uh, for the center or myself? For the center. For the center, yeah. So we mm -hmm. basically think of us as a hospital for wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same if you were to take your cat or dog um, to a vet. Um, so we are a full medical facility. We have a medical staff, which includes vets and vet techs. Um, and our support staff is actually fairly small. So the people who aren't related to direct animal care, um, there's just a small handful of us. There's myself and Terry uh, who kind of oversee the client and the intake operation side of things. Um, there's Phil Jenny, our executive director, and Lynette Scott who works with our donors. Um, and then we have someone who works with uh, volunteer processing. Um, we have 600 volunteers, so that's a pretty big job. Um, but everyone else is directly related to medical care and um, care for the patients. So, okay. yes, we do. We do everything from operations to radiographs to processing simple lab procedures um, in-house. That has to be amazingly. I mean, it, it must. It must feel you know as a wildlife center because not not every wildlife center has has that kind of in-house capability. They have to outsource yep. a lot of different things. So that kind of independence has to be wonderful. It really is, um, yeah. and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there um, with the independence, right? We're not tied to what a university is dictating to us. Mm -hmm. um, we're not tied to any type of research grants or um, accommodations. Mm -hmm. uh, we are strictly a hospital, um, and our goal is to ease suffering. Um, yes, our end goal is to release animals back to the wild, but really the ultimate goal is to ease suffering because as you know, not every animal that comes into wildlife rehab is going to go back out the door. Yeah. Um, and so what we do is we ease that pain. You know, you mentioned that you, you know, you take some things from farther, farther out. I mean, how, how far out do you accept animals from, you know, if someone's up in Duluth? Yep. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Pretty much all over the state. Um, sure. We have variances for our permits, so we can take from Iowa and Wisconsin too. Um, okay. We can only take migratory birds from and waterfall from um, the Dakotas. Um, mm -hmm. The DNR isn't too fond of um, reptiles and mammals crossing state lines from the Dakotas. Mm -hmm. um, we can, if we get a species in, um, uh, you know, someone's driven five and a half hours to get to us. Um, mm -hmm. Like the Franklin ground squirrels, a few years ago, we had some Franklin ground squirrels come in from North Dakota and they were found just right over the border. And so we called the DNR and they gave us a variance for those squirrels. Mm. Um, the DNR works um, really quite well with us. Um, and I think it's because we're such a transparent organization. Are there, are there other animals like um, protected species, for example, that you're not able to handle or they have to have special stuff for? Nope, we have all those permits that we need, so. Oh, very cool, very yeah. cool. So like on the off chance, like a bear, 
yep, we've had bears. Oh, wow. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will be honest with you. We would most likely transfer bear up to Garrison. Um, mm -hmm. Garrison is the only other medical um, facility for wildlife in the state. Um, they're located on the west side of Mille Lacs, and the vets who own the domestic clinic there also run a wildlife center. Um, and like I said, they're the only other ones with full-time vets in the state. They do an amazing job rearing bear cubs, and they actually successfully hibernate them their first winter and then release them the next um, summer. So, wow. yeah, that's pretty amazing for a center to do. And they have their appropriate yeah. caging and, and landscaping for that. We don't. Um, so yeah. if we were to receive a bear cub um, after we had finished up the medical side of it, we would transfer it to Garrison for final stage. Um, but, yeah, we definitely take bear. Yeah. There's bears here in the metro, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as, I mean, I suppose, and yep. getting transported back and, and stuff like that. And I imagine, you know, th just thinking about how many layers that all of this can involve and stuff, you know. Uh, I hear a lot of people who have just a general interest about getting into wildlife rehab, becoming a wildlife rehabber, doing it out of their home, um, doing it out of their backyard. Uh, I mean, is that something that you'd recommend, or is that something that, you have to be really careful with, I would assume. Yeah. So, you know, how do I become a wildlife rehabber yeah. is a very popular question, especially <laughs> with um, students who are in college. They mm -hmm. want to know what courses they need to take to become a wildlife rehabber. And yeah. I have yet to see a curriculum that says this is what you need to take to be a wildlife rehabber. <laughs> um, so what we tell people is you kind of need to decide what you want to do. Do you want to go the medical route? Mm -hmm. um, and find a center like us that sees a high number of species, a high number of patients, and pursue a medical career, um, which mm -hmm. would then be a DVM, uh, a vet, or a CBT, a certified vet tech. Um, okay. And both of those are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum as far as schooling goes. Um, and they do equally fascinating jobs. Um, so, you know, that's the one route you can go. The other route is um, to just go ahead and take as many wildlife and biology courses as you can. Mm -hmm. um, our vets here at the center actually teach wildlife courses at the university. Um, so, you know, some schools do have some wildlife courses and then experience, hands-on experience, get yourself into centers, do internships, um, you know, and, and start working your way into a center. Um, and then you can decide whether or not you want to do it at home. If you want to do it at home here in Minnesota, um, there's all sorts of regulations about that. You have to have mm -hmm. a vet, um, that you work with. It is a requirement because animals in rehab most often need medical care. Um, mm -hmm. So you do have to have a vet who's willing to work with you in order to do this. Um, and then you should probably think about starting a nonprofit because wildlife rehab is expensive. Um, mm -hmm. And you're probably going to want to form your own nonprofit. So taking some business courses in there is going to help too. Sure, sure. That makes sense. It's not something that, um, you know, I, I, I hear stories sometimes, you know, in talking to different people and, like, oh, yeah, I found a baby squirrel in my backyard once, and so I just brought it inside, and I raised it. I mean, yeah, pro probably probably should uh, bring it to a, a rehab center. Yep. We always um, tell our volunteers an animal that's going to walk up to a human and that is comfortable walking up to humans has mm -hmm. a very short life expectancy. 
you know, mm. at some point yeah. in time, they're going to walk up to the wrong human. They're going to walk up to a human with a dog. Um, and so even here in the center, um, our volunteers are pretty hands off. Uh, we mm. always tell them there's no cuddling of the animals. There's no talking aloud to the animals. Um, mm. I'm sure in their heads, they're talking to the patient as they're working yeah. with it. You can't help it when you're holding a little squirrel in your hand. Yeah. Um, but for the well-being of the patient, um, that animal should be in with other species of its kind. They should graduate to outdoor caging um, that is large enough to allow them to practice jumping from branch to branch, mm -hmm. um, strengthening those muscles, letting them acclimate to the outdoors and all the different sounds, um, teaching them how to you know, um, scavenge, how to forage for food, how to seek shelter from the rain and the sun, all of that. And most people aren't equipped to do that at home which yeah. is why there's regulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can see how that makes sense. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's for the well-being of the animals. You know, yep. They want to make sure that people are, are equipped and they know what they're getting into and they have all the right stuff. So people aren't in over their heads to the detriment of themselves and, and the animals that need care. So I get that. And, you know, years ago, I think it was different, right? Because of mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier, there just weren't centers around. Um, yeah. You didn't have the internet to quickly Google you know, injured wildlife. Uh, if you Google injured wildlife, Minnesota, you're going to come up with a bunch of listings nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really think there's almost no excuse now to have an animal that you've decided to keep at home. Um, yeah. I think people who do that have made a conscious decision to not mm -hmm. seek out the best care for that patient. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this time of year is really frustrating for our staff. Um, we see those patients that people have had for two, three months, and all of a sudden they realize that, you know what, the duck's wings haven't grown incorrectly, and they bring it to oh. us saying, can you fix this? Oh. Can't. Three months have gone by. This duck hasn't had a proper diet. It has metabolic bone disease, and there's absolutely nothing you can do for that at this point. Um, so, you know, this time of year is really frustrating, but we are seeing a decline in this um, in the number of these cases. And I mm -hmm. do think it is because it's so easy now to Google and find the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, um, so someone's find something and, and they are wondering if, if it needs help, you know, what do they do? Do they just uh, call, call or? Okay. Yeah, call us. Um, so uh, believe it or not, you might find this interesting too. Uh, we run a call center, basically. That's what mm -hmm. it's turned into. Uh, we are so busy in April, May, June, July, August that we cannot answer live calls at the desk. Um, <laughs> the people who are in our lobby with patients um, take top priority. And mm -hmm. so believe it or not, what we've done is we've set up a core team of volunteers and all they do are answer, return, voicemail. <laughs> um, yeah, like 50,000 a year. Wow. <laughs> Um, wow. And honestly, it's turned into a national call center. Um, we'll, some of the funniest stories are, and it never happens until you're 10 minutes into a phone call with someone. Someone yeah. has found a gull and they don't know what to do. And it was walking down an alleyway and you ask them where they're located and they tell you New York. <laughs> like, well, no, you can't bring it to us. Um, so thankfully, there is a network of um, professional rehabbers across the nation who belong mm -hmm. to an organization. So we have a nationwide listing and we can put people in touch with rehabbers in different states. Um, but basically, the first thing is call us if it's mm -hmm. not apparently injured. 
if it's apparently injured, it's bleeding, um, a cat or a dog had it, it hit your window and now it's not flying, it's drooping, it's falling over, um, it has an obvious eye injury, a leg injury, something like that, you don't even need to call us as long as it's a wild animal that's found here in Minnesota, um, not lost iguanas or things like that. <laughs> um, go ahead and bring it into us. We're open nine to six every day. No need to call first. But otherwise, okay. if you call us, we'll walk through the situation and evaluate it with you um, mm -hmm. and help you decide if you should bring it in. Um, is there, I mean, ballparking, is there, is there like a percentage of calls that you'd say, you know, you, you end up not really needing to bring the animal in? It's something that, you know, maybe it's, it's being perceived as something wrong, but there's not actually something wrong yeah. and there's some confusion on that. That's a really good question. Um... I don't know what our percentage is on that, but I can tell you in May, June, July, and August, it's higher than usual. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because of fledglings, fawns, yeah. and bunnies. Um, yeah. Those are the, as you probably know, those are the big three um, that if you can control the number of healthy patients of those coming in your door, um, you can make a huge difference in the number of wild animals that are growing up in the wild. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually have um, started let's see, well, maybe six years ago, we really started a heavy social media and educational campaign mm -hmm. on um, those three groups of animals and yeah. what to do with them and how to know whether or not to leave them alone. Um, mm -hmm. And those are questions that we usually answer on the phone with people. So those are actually three of the next things I wanted to ask you about. But first, um, <laughs> <laughs> bats, because I, I know a lot of oh, people yeah. who find bats and sometimes they're just on a tree Sometimes it looks like they're sleeping, you know, on a on, on, on a block wall near a sidewalk. And, you know, of course, everyone's immediate go-to is it's rabbit. And yep. that's the, the first concern. So, I mean, if someone finds a bat, what should they do? And, and should they be worried? Um, so I would say they shouldn't be worried just, you know, randomly off the bat. Um, same mm -hmm. if you saw a fox running across the road, would you assume it had rabies? Um, <laughs> so I would say that they shouldn't be worried about that, but we don't want them to handle the bat with bare hands um, sure. because um, bat teeth are so teeny tiny and wickedly sharp. Um, mm -hmm. You can be bitten by a bat and not realize it. They could graze you, it could break your skin and, and you wouldn't realize it. So wow. um, I think there's a couple different situations. A bat outside, we tell people not to worry about it until mm -hmm. you know mid to late October when temperatures are getting cold, um, mm -hmm. but they should never be on the ground. Right. So if you find a bat on the ground, um, we want you to um, do something before you bring it into us. And it's sure. super easy to do. Uh, you just go find a long, thin stick mm -hmm. and you take the stick and you slide it backward. You get under its belly gently and you gently slide it backward until you hit its feet. And mm -hmm. the bat should be able to cling to it. And then you slowly turn it and lift the stick up and you <laughs> hold it out at shoulder height and give it a mm -hmm. little shake. The bat might drop to the ground or might drop and fly away, in which case the bat probably had just gotten knocked down during a storm or something on the ground and wasn't mm -hmm. able to get back up. Um, so sometimes they'll fly away and problem solved, you don't need to bring it into us. If the bat mm -hmm. does just fall to the ground though again, then it's time to scoop it into a box and bring it in. So okay. that's what we do for bats on the ground. Um, bats, I would say in the fall who are in the same spot day after day, after three days, we're going to want you to bring it in if it's like below hip height. 
Um, if it's mm -hmm. up roosting, we might tell you to leave it be for a while because it could just be in the process of moving to its winter cave. Mm. Okay. And we had a situation at a place that I used to live a few years ago. There was a, uh, a bat on the entryway. So it was about 10 feet okay. off the ground, right on the entryway above the main, the main entrance. And, um, which is what an entryway is. And, uh, it, it was there for, I don't know, two, two, three days. Didn't move a peep at all. And yeah. then went out one morning, it was gone. Yep. So yeah. Yep. And that was Sometimes in about September. And, um, we normally see that more in the fall and the spring. And I mm -hmm. think it says they're transitioning to their, um, winter, wherever they're going to be for the winter, whether it's a cave or, um, under mm -hmm. some rocks. Um, you know, some of our bats here in Minnesota migrate, some just move to caves. Um, mm -hmm. and as they're doing that, sometimes it takes them a little bit longer and they move a little more sluggishly and they don't just go straight from their summer point to their winter point. Yep. Let's see. Yeah. So, so birds, um, I'll, I'll ask about baby birds in a moment, but there's, there's the other stage of birds that I, I hear a lot from, from family and friends, you know, you see what looks almost like a robin but not quite or almost like a blue jay but a little bit shaggy and gray and it's been on the ground and you think it's hurt um what what should someone do in that situation yep so those as you know are the fledglings that we've been talking about um some birds go through a ground fledge stage which means that they live on the ground for about five to seven days before they can fly um, and I always, I think the best way and the easiest way for people to understand why this happens is you think about a robin's nest, right? Most people have seen a robin's nest. A robin's nest is about this big. Yeah. And you think about when the four or five nestlings are born, they hatch. Um, there's plenty of room in that nest. Um, but anyone who has had a robin's nest knows eventually they end up kind of piling up on top of each other <laughs> and there simply isn't room. So they don't have room to develop their long tail feathers and their flight feathers in the nest. So mm -hmm. what happens is they eventually bail to the ground and that's when those feathers will really start growing in. So when they talk about the bird looking shaggy, a lot of mm -hmm. times we'll say, does it have a tail? And they'll say, no, it doesn't have a tail. Or if they're holding it in their hand, we'll say, do you see little tiny tail feathers starting? And they'll say yes. Mm -hmm. So our general rule of thumb with fledglings is leave them alone. Uh, they should continue to do just fine, and you don't have to worry about them if they fail because we're here as a safety net. Mm -hmm. So signs of the bird failing would be um, kind of what I touched on earlier, um, losing balance, you know, tipping over, looking really lethargic, um, uh, an obvious injury, things mm -hmm. like that would we would want you to bring the bird in. But if it's, you know, around the parents are feeding it and even as they get older the parents won't be feeding it anymore but as long as it's healthy hopping alert bright-eyed leave it be how about um baby birds i mean you find an obviously baby bird outside of the nest or it seems like maybe the nest has been abandoned yeah so um some species of birds both parents feed birds so we always tell people even if the one parent you know has been killed give the other parent a chance um a little tiny naked bird that's been on the ground you can pick it back up and put it back in the nest mom and dad aren't going to care about your scent um i swear my great grandma made that up to keep me from handling the birds <laughs> um but yeah pick the baby bird out and put it back in the nest we tell people if that same baby bird keeps getting booted out of the nest bring it into us there could be something wrong with it sometimes wild parents have this innate sense that mm -hmm. you know something's wrong or it might just simply be the runt of the litter um mm -hmm. or the brood and mom isn't going to expend energy on it and so she keeps kicking it out 
Um, I should also back up just a second on fledglings. There are certain species that don't fledge where if you find them on the ground, we want you to bring those in. And sure. those would be cavity nesters. Um, So wrens, bluebirds, um, chickadees, nuthatches, woodpeckers, Mm -hmm. none of those guys should be on the ground. If they're on the ground, bring them in. Okay. Okay. Um, How about deer? I see a lot of that. And I end up seeing, um, incidentally, a lot of uh, videos on social media of, you know, somebody with a baby deer in their house that they're feeding Cheez-Its to because they found a baby deer. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So what what is with the amount that people tend to stumble upon uh, fawns laying by themselves and and, uh, what should they really do? Um, yeah, so again, I'm so grateful for Google now. Um, I think that is helping to drop the number of these fawns that end up in people's houses. Um, the other thing is, like you said, you see videos on social media. The DNR is pretty good at finding those videos and finding the person and bringing the fawns to us, um, which we appreciate. Um, but yeah, mom will leave the fawn alone for pretty much the first six weeks of its life, only coming Mm -hmm. back to nurse it and move it to a different location. Um, Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, and again, I'm from that generation of Bambi. um, Mm -hmm. You think about those little tiny spindly legs on the fawn and how they do that little staggery step. There's no way they're keeping up with mom as she browses all day long and forages. She covers, you know, a mile or two and that little fawn can't keep up with her. So she finds, and I tell people this, she finds what she thinks is a safe area um, and the fawn will sometimes find that area itself and they will curl up and the fawns will just wait there for mom to come back. Mm-hmm. You may not consider it to be a safe spot. <laughs> I realize this. <laughs> um, uh, we will get people who call us and say, the fawn is curled up in my front garden up against my house or it will actually mm. be on the steps or it will be mm-hmm. up against their garage. Um, and yes, I realize that, you know, it poses you as humans pose a threat to it. Um, but that doe is and the fawn are probably pretty savvy. Um, there aren't many wildlife predators that are going to come walking right up to your house in your front garden to take that fawn. Um, so we um, have seen an increase in calls about fawns being born in fenced in yards. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating. People will call and they'll say, well, if there's a baby fawn in our yard and we'll start going through all this and so they'll interrupt us and say, well, no, you don't understand. My yard is completely fenced. How did the fawn get there? <laughs> we'll say, well, mom jumped the fence and she had the fawn <laughs> in your yard. Um, and so what we tell people is, you know, if you can just leave the fawn there and at one point in time, you're going to realize it's time for the fawn to get out because the mom's going to be standing on the other side of the fence and she isn't going to be jumping it anymore. She's just going to be standing there and the fawn's going to be running up and down the fence line. And at that point in time, you need to let the fawn out. Um, But yes, please leave the fawns alone. Um, If you're really concerned about it, you can call us and we have some steps that we can walk you through to test hydration on the fawn. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a couple really easy things to watch for. One is a fawn should never lie on its side. Okay. So, you know, us pet owners, um, our cats and dogs lie on their sides when they're comfortable and they're relaxed. Fawns don't do that. 
they stay curled up just like those little fake fawn statues that you can get. Yeah. Um, that is truly the typical fawn pose. So as mm -hmm. long as the fawn is curled up, its nose is wet, its eyes are shiny, its ears are, you know, upright or, you know, it's got flat back to its head. Um, that's a sign of a good, healthy fawn. A fawn that's on its side has already started to crash and you shouldn't even call us just grab the fawn bring it in if you can call us on the way to let us know that you're coming that helps us prepare um, but a yeah. fawn on its side just needs to come into us um, sure. and they crash kind of fast the fawn might look fine for you know uh six seven hours and then all of a sudden it's on its side um, so like I said, we're open nine to six. Um, if you find a fawn after we're closed and you're in the metro area, or if you have a good relationship with your vet, um, here in the metro area, some of the e-clinics will try to stabilize the fawn, um, and then bring it to us the next day. Um, it all depends on who's on that night and what their protocols are. Um, but you can always try calling or taking it to an e-clinic too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have two questions that are kind of related to previous things. Um, I'm realizing that I had <laughs> and one of one of which is um, so back on the subject of birds, um, eggs. I mean, if you find an egg on the ground, is that something that y'all would handle, or would you recommend same thing as if you find a baby, just just put it back in the uh, put it back in the nest? Yeah. So usually when people find eggs, we find that they just find the egg in a random spot, like. In the yeah. middle of the sidewalk there may not mm -hmm. even be a tree nearby um so um we don't incubate eggs um about our guess is about 80 percent 80 to 90 percent of the eggs that people find aren't viable anyway yeah. um you know um uh, so your your viewers may not know this but um, especially with waterfowl, we get a lot more questions about waterfowl eggs so mm -hmm. what happens is um they lay an egg a day and they don't start incubating the eggs until the entire brood is laid. So those mm -hmm. eggs on the early stages haven't even started developing yet um, because mom isn't incubating them. Um, sure. And that's why all the baby robins pretty much hatch on the same day. Um, mm -hmm. It's even though the eggs were hat, um, laid over a period of days. Mm -hmm. So the egg you find um, may not be viable just from that standpoint. Um, usually the egg has been out um, either in the heat um, all day with flies on it or it has been out overnight in the cool and the rain. Um, so odds are those eggs aren't viable. If the egg happened to fall out of the nest right above the light at your entryway and you mm -hmm. want to put the egg back into the nest if it's the same species, go right mm -hmm. ahead and do that. Um, but most of the times those eggs aren't viable. Sure. Sure. Uh, another question in terms of like calls and, and, and what you handle and what you won't. I mean, if somebody calls and it's maybe not, maybe not uh, in injured wildlife, but they're calling because they have, you know, uh, a raccoon that, you know, is, is in their attic or in, in their backyard or something like that. I mean, is that something where you can uh, provide any advice on how to, you know, living living with wildlife resources on that at all, um, on, on wildlife wildlife proofing, or is that something where you would just forward people along somewhere else? Uh, it's a combination, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, we do answer thousands of those calls. Those volunteers are um, in our call center um, are answering those calls. Uh, we love wildlife, and we want you to live successfully with it. 
wildlife does not belong in your house, whether mm -hmm. it's a mouse, a squirrel, um, a raccoon in the attic, they don't belong in your house. And mm -hmm. um, we can at least give you resources on how to um, remove the animal or um, encourage the animal to move on. Um, one of the biggest things that people always kind of laugh about until it happens to them and there's thousands of dollars worth of damage is um, every spring we warn people who have boats to move their boats daily and to uncover their boats because raccoons love covered boats. And when they get into the boat, they destroy it. They chew Oof. up the cushions to make nest material. Yeah, Oof. I'm talking thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. Uh, <laughs> so we were fortunate this year that someone right here in Roseville, um, uh, he went to uncover his boat and found baby raccoons. Um, and we went through what to do as far as what we call reuniting them with mom. Um, mm -hmm. We told them to remove the book cover, um, to introduce a very, very bright light. So um, your friend is going to be, you know, those little cheap clamp-on shop lamps. That you can get. Yeah. Yep, with the silver backing. Mm -hmm. Those are fabulous for solving these problems. Um, go out to Menards, buy some, clamp them, and take away the dark, quiet den. Right. So any animal um, that dens has chosen to that site because it's dark and quiet. Yeah. So whether it's a fox that's under your deck, whether it's a woodchuck that's under your shed, a raccoon in your boat, you flood that area with light and sound, mom's going to move them. Mm. It might take her 48 hours, but she's going to move those animals. And yeah. if she leaves one behind, again, it's most likely the runt. Go ahead and just bring it into us. Um, but she's going to move them on her own, which is going to, number one, save you about $600 in calling a wildlife service <laughs> to remove them. And number two, it's going to give the animals a better chance at surviving. Relocated animals generally don't survive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's less of a headache for you. And so it was fabulous. The guy um, actually put up his um, trail cam on the boat and mm -hmm. he flooded the area with light. And I, I might be a little off on the times, but I know mom did exactly what we told him she would do. Um, she would come mm -hmm. back for him. It might take her a while to get all of them, but she would. There were three raccoons. Mm -hmm. Mom came at 9.20, 9.30, and then the poor little last guy, she didn't come back for him until 3.30 <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> and I have no idea why. Um, but wow. she came and she got all of them and she moved them and never saw them again. Uh, <laughs> but she found a better den location. So take yeah. away the dark, quiet den and they'll move. I mean, I suppose there's a there's a human element of that. I mean, if you uh, have bright lights in your nursery when you're trying to get your kid to sleep uh, <laughs> and loud music from the neighbors, you know, you're going to do anything you can to, to shift that away or switch rooms or whatever. So I, I get that. That's uh, a really good analogy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, another really common one that you mentioned, bunnies, nesting bunnies, small bunnies. Um, I've got tons of them in my backyard. There's an old nest uh, in my backyard. Um, what are the things that people usually call about in regards to bunnies and, and what should people do? Yeah, so um, uh, we have a photo on our Facebook page mm -hmm. um, that you want to come to associate with bunnies until you've had it happen. Um, it's a photo of two dogs in a laundry basket out in the yard. Mm -hmm. Those are my two dogs. I feel your pain. Everyone who owns dogs, I feel your pain with bunnies. I live it every single year. Um, <laughs> and our staff and volunteers do too. 
and we stumbled across this a few years ago just by accident. Um, I, it was driven by sheer desperation, honestly. Um, the My dogs find the bunny nest inevitably before I do. Um, mm -hmm. And most people, that's the case. They don't even know the nest yeah. is there until the dogs find it. Um, so go out and buy a laundry basket and two tent stakes. Um, and when you when you find the nest, put the laundry basket over it like a dome and mm -hmm. tent stake it to the ground anytime you let your dogs out in the yard. Hmm. Your dogs can be out in the yard all day long. And with this basket there, they're not going to get to the bunnies. Mom isn't going to come when your dogs are out in the yard anyway. Sure, so yeah. People, even though she likes to come at like around dusk every evening to feed them, if you are out having a bonfire with your friends and there's dogs running around, leave the nest covered. Uncover mm -hmm. it when you go inside for the night and mom will come and nurse them then. She nurses them two times a day. She doesn't stay at the nest. You won't see mom with the babies. Um, well, I mean, of course, some people do. But in general, you're not going to see mm -hmm. mom with the babies. So don't assume that they're orphaned either. Um, sure. Um, we can walk you through a hydration test um, on the phone um, to make sure that the bunnies aren't orphaned. Um, bunnies go downhill really, really quickly. They'll go downhill within 48 hours of mom not being there. And you'll start to see their hip bones and their spine um, and their skin will look wrinkly. That's a sign that they need to come in. Hmm. In terms of, uh, you know, things that people can do, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, what are what are a lot of the things that you see that are completely avoidable? You know, what are things that people could do to alter their behavior um, alter their activities that are reducing the impact, uh, reducing injuries on wildlife, um, you know, that that would lighten y'all's load. Yeah, yeah. I, just personally, and I guess professionally, I wish people, what you had said earlier, would just come to live better with wildlife. Um, you know, everyone here in Minnesota seems to take great pride that we have this amount of wildlife that we do in the state, but they don't want it in their backyard. Mm -hmm. um and so you know i always look at arizona and california you know what they they live with mountain lions and they know how to do this <laughs> can you imagine yeah. if there's a mountain lion in st cloud oh i know people it, would lose it <laughs> yeah no people would go nuts um yeah. and so you know just professionally and personally learn to live with wildlife um mm -hmm. if you want free-range chickens great i i applaud you but realize that there's going to be attrition <laughs> with your free-range chickens. Um, mm -hmm. We live in a state that has wildlife. Um, there are coyotes in downtown Minneapolis. There are turkeys mm -hmm. in downtown St. Paul. Um, we are a very, very rich state with wildlife, which I think is amazing and what makes Minnesota what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but that means learning to live with it. Hardware cloth is going to be your best friend um, if you have chickens. Um, that is the only predator-proof fencing that you're going to find. And you mm -hmm. need to fully do the cage, including the bottom of it. You basically need to just wrap that cage in hardware cloth. Mm -hmm. um, it is what we use for all of our outdoor caging and is the only material that's going to keep the mink the weasels, the raccoons, the fox, all of those things out of there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I have personal experience in terms of, you know, seeing a lot of that and, uh, with, with conflicts with wildlife and it's a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, well, something attacked my chickens. And so now I want that thing killed yep. and it's like, 
did you take any precautions <laughs> like whatsoever to, to maybe protect them in the first place since you are the human in the scenario like did you maybe please and uh and then we can avoid loss on both sides so yeah uh, yeah, yeah. yeah i always think we're the responsible ones right wildlife yeah. wildlife um we humans are the ones who are responsible and honestly you're responsible for the well-being of it's either your pets or your chickens you know we mm -hmm. have people who um don't like having fox or coyotes around because they can't let their dogs out um, mm -hmm. you know what? I never let my dogs out unattended and they are 88 and 78 pounds respectively. Um, mm -hmm. they're big dogs and I still do not leave them outside unattended. Um, mm -hmm. the one really easy thing that you can do, um, is, uh, wildlife are smart. Uh, they will learn patterns and I simply open and close my door that I left the dogs out really loudly twice before I mm -hmm. let them out. And even the raccoons in my yard have learned they hear that door open and close pretty soon there's going to be two black dogs flying out the door um <laughs> and they all scatter so mm -hmm. you can you can teach wildlife in your yard that as soon as you make a loud sound something's going to happen and they'll scatter um and that's a really really good way to protect your dogs too yeah yeah sort of training in a way i mean it you is. train your pets so it's it's really the same concept Yep. Or heck, I mean, if I left out a family-sized pack of Oreos completely open in my living room and then left, my son would eat them all. Would I blame him or would I be like, ah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have left the Oreos open? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can where can people find more information? Where can they follow you on uh, social media for, for the Wildlife Center? Yeah, so um, we normally have a very active social media feed. Um, mm -hmm. I have been a bit negligent the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm a one-person department. Um, mm -hmm. So um, let's see, I think our last clip was a heron release. Mm. Um, but we share a mix of photos and videos. We try to mix it up from um, a teaching moment um, to, hey, you know what? We're just posting this because this little bird is so fluffy cute, you're gonna love them. Um, and our social media is consistent across the board. It's WRCMN for Minnesota. Um, so we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time. I uh, really appreciate the information. I feel like the listeners are really going to appreciate the information and um, uh, maybe it'll help uh, ease some of the question load. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're always yeah. here to help and we're here as a safety net. So Sure. Perfect. Thank Perfect. you so much for having me. So there you have it. I have to say, I, I never really know how to wrap these things up, especially when it's uh, kind of more of a conversation like this. There's not really an ending that feels entirely natural other than the ending of the conversation itself. So it's like tapping on another ending to an ending. It's like the movie should have ended, but yet it's not even a post credit scene. It's just like the ending keeps going. And that's what I'm doing right now is continuing the ending. But before you go, um, thank you again for listening. Thank you again, Tammy Vogel, for being our guest on today's episode. If you would like to support the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota, check out our episode notes. We have a lot of information there, as well as a link to support them. And their, uh, their SOMI, their social media links, and ours. And a bunch of links to other science and nature podcasts that you should be giving a listen to. And if you aren't, what are you doing with your life? Probably lots of things. Yes.
Remember, you can support us at patreon.com slash thewildlife or paypal.me slash thewildlife. Uh, check out our merch store, too. We've got a bunch of new stuff, um, some art, T-shirts and stickers and all kinds of stuff. Just, just good stuff. So wherever you're listening from, I hope you are well. I hope you are happy. And I hope you're living a wild life. Until next time. <laughs>